morning. How you guys doing today? Hey, let me uh, just brag on you a couple of things. One, I have heard probably 10 times in the last couple of weeks from different people in the church of, hey, since the fast, my walk with Christ has gone to another place. And, and I'm so encouraged by that. People saying, hey, this intimacy I'm experiencing with the Lord, uh, it was like it opened a door or a dam broke and I feel the Lord again and I'm excited. And, and so I just want to uh, just say to you, I, I, I'm so excited that so many of you are experiencing that kind of intimacy with Christ. And I, I told you that when you walk and obey the Lord, sometimes fasting and prayer is disconnecting from the world and connecting to God. And in a whole other way. But one other way I want to brag on you is through this care portal thing, our community groups, I keep getting reports after report after report that our community groups are caring on the needs of our community and meeting the needs of our community. I have also heard, by the way, a couple caught me in the, in the guest reception afterwards and said, hey, we don't know how to use it. We're going to train you on that, okay? And so the team who's over all of that trained the people on how to do that, okay? Uh, but those who are using it are meeting needs all over this city. In fact, I don't know how to use it actually, but I, I got this screenshot this week from the website uh, of the Care Portal website, and it showed one particular need where this lady was saying, hey, I'm in the hospital. I'm having this procedure done. It wasn't a financial need. It was, I need somebody to come and sit with my children uh, in the hospital for a few hours while I have this done. And the seven people in our city that responded to it, six of them, it said Battle Creek Church beside it. And so give yourselves a hand taking care of this city. Uh, And by the way, when you learn to live that way, uh, there is tremendous joy available to you. You think it's so sacrificial, but it actually fills you uh, w- with the joy of the Lord. And, and then I, maybe your host just announced this. I know here Matt just announced it, but I want to announce it again on the stream so that all the campuses hear it. Next weekend is TUL weekend for our student ministry, 6th through 12th grade. If you have a student in your home, grades 6 through 12th, get them signed up right now for TUL weekend. And occasionally I'll have a parent say, hey, I'm not, my kid is you know, nervous. They don't want to go. And this is where I say to you, step up and be the parent. Your kid doesn't need you to be their buddy and and to be their friend. Your kid needs you to be the leader and to push them towards an outcome that they may not take that step on their own. And, And I'm as a parent of a teenager, I'm amazed how often people that are that young can act like senior adults. And they don't like change. Oh, we changed it this year. Why did we change it? Well, because you complained about a few things last year. We made it better. That's why we changed it. Oh, I hate change. You're 14. What do you mean you hate change? (laughs) You better get used to change. Everything about your whole world is changing on a daily basis. And and so get your kids signed up for TUL weekend text, uh, whatever it was, TUL to 555-888, and you can register your kid right now. But don't let them miss this weekend. It only comes around once a year, and, and you'll miss this window of them making friends and watching God do something in their heart. And, and by the way, we're in February now. Here, here we go. It feels like Christmas to me was three days ago. And now we're moving well on into 2020. In February this month is Valentine's Day. And, and so, guys, let me just ask you, are you ready how many of you guys, all campuses, just show of hands, have something special planned for your wife or your girlfriend? Just, just raise your hand. Just hear me, guys. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Whether you got something planned or not, just raise your hand, okay? 
I'm not telling you a lie. I'm just telling you, raise your hand. She's looking at you right now, and and she is watching. Plan it out later today, but raise your hand right now, okay? In fact, in my opinion, one of the best things about Valentine's Day is the candy, right? At least for the guys. It's it's the candy. And and here's the thing about Valentine's Day candy. Uh, You know, we we, we give the candy, hey, babe, I got you a box of uh, chocolates. Let me help you with that, right? (laughs) But Valentine's Day candy ranges from the very, very top end of, you know, Godiva chocolate. And and, uh, how many of you love chocolate? I mean, you like chocolate, right? Anybody want a piece of chocolate this morning? Come here, Matt. Hand this stuff out to people. This is not Godiva. It's Russell Stover because we we have a budget on our illustrations. uh, But but it's pretty good. Here, hand hand that out to people if you would. But but it can rank all the way from the top of Godiva chocolate all the way to the worst and the cheapest candy of all time. How many of you know what I'm talking about right here? Chalk-flavored hearts. It's the worst of all time. And the students are like, what is chalk? Well, back when we used to ride horses to school, there there was this thing called a chalkboard, and teachers would use these to write on the board and and teach us how to do math. Anybody like these things? Anybody like this junk? Here. the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some chalk. And listen, uh, in fact, let me say this about, those are the carnations of the candy world. And, and if you're a mother and your kid gave you a carnation at Mother's Day, they don't love you. They made zero effort, right? And, and so it's the worst candy on the planet, not just because they taste bad, but because the messages on them are so cheesy, right? And, and, and the point is to try to find one of the pieces of chalk that actually has something written on it that you would actually say right? In the third grade when you're handing this out to your friends. But, but they say things like, hug me. That's creepy. <laughs> you're, you're the one, right? Or, or be mine. And we, I think we need to update them and bring them into the modern age. In fact, I put it out on Facebook and you submitted some uh, suggestions as to how to update these cards this week. Here's some of them. Uh, I, I won't make you watch football. <laughs> but, because I love you, right? You can just watch the commercials. Uh, Netflix and chill. Uh, I, I said that one in the first hour. Somebody asked me if I knew what it meant. I said, no, they told me, and I'm, I'm for it. I'm really, I'm for it. Uh, I, I brought you tacos. Praise the Lord, right? That's love. I'll do the dishes. On the back of that one, it says foreplay, guys. And, and uh, so that's a good one. I have a headache. We took all those out of the box, right? In fact, it has been scientifically proven to all of you wives that actually sexual activity is the fastest way to remove a headache. So thank you guys. Uh, You're welcome, guys. And uh, we'll we'll keep moving. But listen, here's the deal about love. It's all about devotion. That's really what love is all about is devotion. And when you give your heart to someone else, you wouldn't say this out loud because that would make you weird, but, but you are thinking, here, here is my heart. I'm, I'm giving you my heart. Don't break it. Be, be careful with it, right? And here's the truth. When you say yes to God, you're doing the very same thing. You're, you're giving your heart to, to God and you're saying, here, here, here it is, God. And there are a lot of different ways to say that in the Bible. There are a lot of different biblical ways or, or, or word pictures that the Bible gives us for that. You, you can use the word saved, 
Like at that moment you were saved. You, you could say this is where life change is taking place. You could say this is about becoming a follower of Jesus. There's all kinds of different pictures of what I'm talking about in the Bible. The Bible says we are in Christ. The, the Bible says Christ is in us. There is this picture of giving Jesus your heart. There, there's a picture of him coming to live inside of your heart. But when we talk about all of those things, when we talk about giving our heart to Jesus, the inference is with your whole heart, right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God half-heartedly. Is that what the Bible says? No. In fact, if he just ended there, love the Lord your God, the inference would be with your whole heart. But he made it very clear. He didn't leave it blank. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength, with all of your heart. Say all. all. The problem is we don't always give God all of our heart. Sometimes we give him half of our heart. Sometimes we give him a part of our heart. Sometimes we give him some of our heart. Listen to me. Being fully devoted to God is not a status that you reach or you arrive at. It is a process. It is an ongoing process. It is something we are working at. It is something we are working towards. But on the commitment end of it, that's what I'm talking about today, right? When we were saved, we committed our whole hearts to God, right? Think about the illustration of marriage. That's the illustration, by the way, that Jesus uses over and over and over again to explain our relationship with him, the, the relationship of a bride and a groom, right? When you got married, what did you commit? Your whole heart, right? You didn't commit half of it or part of it or a little slice of it. Think about the moment when you proposed uh, to your wife. You remember that moment when, when you actually, you know, had some ideas and exercised some of them, right? And you proposed to your wife and you said, will you marry me? And she said, yes, baby. Here, you can have half my heart. Hold on. Who's getting the other half, right? I mean, that would be a problem. Or, or when you walked the altar in front of God, the preacher, and everybody else, and you stood at the front of that church, and, and, and you said to have and to hold, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part, except for every other Friday night and the first Tuesday in July. <laughs> right? How would that fly? It would not fly. And, and, and your spouse expects you to commit your whole heart to them. And the very same thing is true with God. And it's not because he's nervous. And it's not because he's jealous. And it's not because he's angry. It's because he knows what's good for you. And when you hold back a portion of your heart, it affects you in negative ways. Every single time. When we don't surrender our whole heart, write this down, it leaves a hole in our heart. When we don't surrender our whole heart, it leaves a hole in our heart. And we think foolishly that it is in our best interest to hold this back from God, to hold this away from him, to not forgive, to not let go, to, to hold this resentment, to hold this bitterness. We think that it's actually in our best interest, but make no mistake about it. What we're doing in that moment is actually stealing our own joy. We are robbing from the joy bank in our own lives. And, and we think of it as just having a little bit of fun on the side or, or, or just holding this little area back from God, but it's actually tearing us up on the inside. And intuitively, somehow we don't know that, but that's what the Word of God says. In fact, let me show you how this plays out in, in this verse in Deuteronomy in chapter 11. Love the Lord your God and serve Him with all of your heart. Say all. 
with all of your heart. That means wholeheartedly, with your whole heart. When we love and serve with our whole heart, hear me, it's a joy. And that's what it is. It is a joy. When you give God your whole heart, which involves instant obedience, which involves immediate surrender, which involves this whole relationship with him where I'm walking. Listen, the devil has lulled the church in general to sleep, to think that what what it means to walk with God is to, hey, I love God. I'm trying to be a good guy. I'll come to church every once in a while, I'll I'll give periodically, but I'll go live my life and do my thing. And it becomes this numbing thing. Listen to me. The whole basis of our faith is God is alive. And he's not just alive, he is present. And he's not just present, he's always talking and he's always speaking to us. And when you walk in a room as someone who's wholehearted with Jesus, it's, hey, Jesus, what are you doing in this room at this moment? What are you doing in this moment? Yeah, yesterday I played golf with a buddy and I was in Arkansas speaking and my friend drove from Tulsa to play golf with me in Fort Smith. And while we were playing golf, I felt like the Lord said, hey, you need to share Christ today. And I'm, I, I, in my heart, I said, God, he, he's a believer. He's already a believer. He already loves the Lord. Lord. And about three holes later, this guy walks up and says, do you mind if I join you? And it was as if God was saying, hey, just obey me. Just listen. That kind of life of saying, God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? I'm going to do it. Even if it's weird, even if it's odd, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do what you just told me to do, what you impressed on my heart. That is exhilarating. There's nothing boring about living a life like that with Jesus Christ. And it brings real joy to your heart, by the way. In fact, if you're not living that way, you've been robbed of joy. You are a weak Christian. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so if you don't live that way, you don't have that kind of joy, which automatically makes you weak and makes you anemic, and it's not fun, and you've lost out on the joy of God. And that's the issue. It's the problem of our heart. Can I tell you that if you're wholehearted, you will experience joy? You will. doesn't mean everything in your life is happy. That's happenstance, right? We, we can't always control happenstance. We're not always happy. But when we are wholehearted, we walk with joy that is unexplainable. And, and if you're not experiencing joy, maybe you need a heart check. And the way they do that today, by the way, is called a catheter. Not that kind of catheter. Guys, relax. It's not where I'm going, right? It's called a heart catheter. And a heart catheter is a long, thin tube that is inserted somewhere in the growing uh, into a vein or an artery. I don't, I don't really know the science behind it, but it goes up and they feed it all the way to your heart. And, and being wholehearted, hear me, it's not an all or nothing situation. Either I'm fully devoted to God or I'm not devoted at all. That's not what I'm trying to say today. What, what, what I'm trying to say is that wholehearted means I am leaning wholly on God to heal my heart, to deal with my heart, and, and I'm trusting him, and I'm just obeying him. When he prompts my heart, I will obey him. And, and when we come to God, by the way, and he saves us, we all have damaged hearts. All of us have damaged hearts at that moment, but what he does is he takes our heart and he transforms them. D.L. Moody once said this, and this is kind of a springboard into this series as we get it started today. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man whose heart is fully consecrated to God, wholehearted. And in this series, we're going to look at that. that. My goal is to teach you and for us to go back to the basics of being wholehearted. And if you're not wholehearted with God, you will have a whole in your heart. And some of your lives, some of parts of your life are missing joy or missing God. And we we need God to come fix it and to fill it and to make us whole again. 
Now, why on earth is this so important? Why is it important and crucial that we get this right? Because problems of the heart will affect your whole being. When you have a problem in the heart physically, it eventually affects every area of your body. When you have a problem in the heart spiritually, it will eventually affect every area of your life. Now, let me illustrate this for you. When when my son, who is 18 years old, named Eli, Elijah, when he was, I think, in the eighth grade, let me back the story up, actually. When he was an infant, the the, uh, OBGYN or pediatrician was checking him and said, he has a heart murmur. We think this heart murmur is innocent. In fact, most babies, when they're born, have a heart murmur. It's, it's fascinating, the, the creation of God, that there's a holes or several holes in the heart, in the womb. And, and when that baby takes a breath, the way it's supposed to work is those holes all seal themselves. And, and, and now the heart begins beating. And, and it's fascinating how God has created us. But sometimes it takes a few days for one of those holes to seal up on a baby. It's pretty regular occurrence. And, and so the pediatrician said, I think it's innocent. We need to have this checked out. Uh, you need a cardiologist to look at it. And the cardiologist looked at it. And when he looked at it, he said, hey, yeah, I think the murmur is innocent, but we found this other thing. And he has a condition of the heart called WPW, which stands for three persons' names, Wolf Parkinson White. And what Wolf Parkinson White is, is that he has an extra electrode in the heart on the electrical side, not the plumbing side. And when that extra electrode begins firing, it will fire out of sync and it will fire out of beat. And if it fires quickly enough, the blood will just stay in the heart. And instead of going through the whole body and back into the heart, it races through the heart. And because it's only traveling an inch or two uh, between chambers, it can begin to race very, 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 very rapidly. And so every year from birth to, to eighth grade, we would go once a year to the cardiologist to have this thing checked out. And every year I'm praying, God, please let it be gone this time. God, please let it be gone this time. And in fact, one time when he was a little boy, I felt like God spoke a word to my heart that he would heal his heart. And so we're going into the appointment. Please let it be gone today. Going to shout your name, God. Going to give you praise. Just let it be gone today. And never gone, never gone, never gone. And it was asymptomatic all the way through the eighth grade. Never did he feel it or know it or understand it one time. But here's what the cardiologist kept saying. It's going to show up eventually this will show up. And sure enough, he started playing competitive basketball. He was on an AAU basketball team. And in the middle of one of these games, he went completely white, went to the ground, went into a seizure and went into a complete convulsion. And his heart was beating 350 beats a minute. And, and when the paramedics came and the ambulance came, obviously we had something to do. We knew what it was at this point. I, in fact, I, over the years, I'd become friends with Dr. Kimbling, who was his, his pediatrician. And, and, and I had his cell phone number and was able to call him. And he told us what to do. And within a few days, we were down in Houston, Texas, at Children's Hospital, Texas Children's Hospital, with Dr. Kim doing this amazing procedure where he went in and, and uh, did an ablation and went into his heart and, and did this a procedure on his heart. And when they got in, they don't know where it is, by the way, until they put the power on him and shocked them and get it to begin to race. And his heart was showing off and showing what it could do. And they found the location of it. And by the way, when they found the location of it, they found that it was in the wall of the heart, which is in the very, very, very dangerous spot. And it, it's the part where uh, it, it is lies in some people who you hear about on the news, these superb athletes who are marathon or ultra marathon runners or NFL players who dropped dead of a heart attack. And they were in completely good shape. And, and so they did this and they solved the problem. And he was healed. What God told me he would do, he did. 
And, and when Eli was coming out of the anesthesia, I don't know if you've ever been in the room when somebody's coming out of anesthesia, it's kind of fun. And they don't, I think, I don't know this to be true, but I think they put some sort of amnesiac in that anesthesia so they don't remember the trauma. And, and so they wake up and, and they ask some questions, they nod out, and 30 seconds later, they wake back up again, they ask the very same question again. They don't remember, they just had the conversation. And, and during that conversation, we're having fun, and Eli said, did it go well? I said, you want to see, you want to see a picture uh, of your chest? You want to see a picture of your heart? He said, yeah, and this is what I showed him. <laughs> and, and, and in the amnesia, he was like, that's cool. And, and, but here's what the doctor said. Even though it hadn't shown up yet, it will eventually show up. Hear the words of Jesus today. That heart problem spiritually that you have, it's going to eventually show up. And if you want to be whole, body, soul, and spirit, it starts with having a whole heart. In fact, throughout the Bible, God warns his people about some heart problems. And we need to get really good at identifying these heart problems and catching them before they really hurt us. So, so let's take a look at some problems of the heart, some diagnoses, if you will, that the Bible gives us that the spiritual heart calf can find. And here's the first one that I want you to see. The Bible calls it a hard heart. A hard heart. In the Old Testament, God would talk about people having a hard heart. And it was always, or most often, uh, after God had done something amazing for them. He had rescued them. He had protected them. He had blessed them. And then all of a sudden, they got complacent and weren't listening to him. Or, or they were chasing after some other idol. Or, or their hearts got idle in, in their pursuit of God. A hard heart physically happens after your heart has stopped. A hard heart spiritually happens when you stop listening to God, when you stop obeying that, stall, that small, still voice of God. You stop reading your Bible. You stop listening to the Word. You stop going to church. You, you are out of communication with the Holy Spirit of God you, because you're not listening to what He's telling you. Look, look at what Hebrews says. Today, say today. Today, this is not a one day. This is not a someday. What the Holy Spirit is saying is today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. When the Spirit tells you to do something, you do it immediately. And, and, and when you don't, by the way, the, the best way to go from hard-hearted to tender-hearted is through follow-through. It's through obedience. It's through instant obedience of, God, you want me to do that? God, you want me to pay for that? You want me to take care of that person? You want me to love that person? You want me to hug this person? You want me to say that? You, you, you want me to be kind in this moment? You want me to take a step back? What, whatever it is the Holy Spirit is saying to you, listen, that's how you go from hard-hearted to tender-hearted, is you begin obeying him in the little things. This is not rocket science. It's that slow impression. It's that still impression. It's that quiet voice, and you obey him. And what it does for you as a child of God, it gets your heart pumping again. It gets your heart moving again. Your pulse begins to rise by hearing the voice of God through his word, by listening to the Holy Spirit and acting it out. And when you hear it and you disobey, when you hear it and you ignore it, hear me what happens. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And eventually it's gone. And you're left with a hard heart. The, the, the second diagnosis is what the Bible calls a prideful heart. Proverbs 21 says that a proud heart is one of the seven things that God hates. Well, why does he hate it so much? Because he knows that a prideful heart separates us from him. 
He knows that a prideful heart separates us from his best. A prideful heart is like having blockage in your heart. It interrupts the normal function and rhythm of a child of God. And having a prideful heart means there is something in your heart that is between you and God. And you need to let the surgeon, Jehovah Rapha, come do his work on it. And you need to ask God, hey, take the scalpel, remove that heart issue from my life. The third diagnosis I'll give you today as we jump into this series is a broken heart. How many of you say, I've I've experienced that one? A broken heart. We all will experience that at one time or another. In fact, at multiple times throughout the course of our life, all of us will experience a broken heart, even your children. And those of your parents know that to be true. There's those moments where you want to jump in and you want to rescue them and you want to protect them, but you can't But because it's a broken heart that they're suffering from. Listen, you you can't live your life and avoid having your heart broken. As long as your heart is beating, there is a chance of it getting broken. And it is not, I am not prescribing, the Bible is not prescribing that that you would uh, live your life in such a way to keep it from breaking. No, no, that's not the prescription. The prescription is when it breaks, and it will, when it breaks, what do you do with your heart after it is broken? Having a broken heart physically is like having an erratic pulse. It's up and down and up and down. It's racing one minute and then it's calm the next. It takes your breath away from time to time. Spiritually, when you have a broken heart and you do not give that broken heart and trust your God with it, and you begin to nurture it, you begin to protect it, you begin to meet the needs of it, rather than giving it to God, you will become erratic in your behavior. You will become erratic in your personality. People around you will look at you and go, I don't know which one I'm going to get today. From moment to moment, I don't know, is this going to be the sweet, kind one, or is this going to be the wicked witch from the West? I don't know how this is going to play out. And when we go uh, to this place where we protect our heart, by the way, the enemy is so cunning and he is so smart in his strategy that he will come in and he will help you meet the needs of your heart in that moment in a sneaky, deceptive way. And then you will allow the enemy to have ground because he's meeting needs. Rather than trusting your God with your broken heart at that moment. And in that scenario, what happens is you'll go from one relationship to another. You you, you go from one desire to the next. You're trying to fix it, and you will try to find anything that will fill that brokenness and fill that hole. And, And hear me today as I tell you the truth. Only God can fix it. Only. He has not given that permission to anything or anyone else. He is the only one. He wired you so that he's the only one who can fix it. You have to trust him with it. And I know it seems counterintuitive, and I know it at some moments it feels very scary, but you have to trust him and give it to him. Listen to what the Bible says in Ezekiel in chapter 11. I will give them singleness of heart. That's what God says. The NIV says undivided heart. The ESV says uh, one heart, that's what I will give them, and I will put a new spirit within them. In other words, the issues of the heart are spiritual matters. That's what God's trying to say. Look at what he says. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart, their hard one, and I will give them a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that what you want? 
a responsive heart. That's what God wants for you is a responsive heart that feels him speaking to you like he did when you first gave your life to him, like he did when it was all brand new, like he did when it was all exciting, a responsive heart. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. And some people are walking around with heart problems and don't even know it. And what we need is heart surgery. We need the spiritual Jehovah Rapha, the, the spiritual heart surgeon to come and do surgery. And by the way, we need to get to the root of the problem and find out what is actually wrong. And then we go to God, the great physician, and let him heal us. So let's go read through one story today in our, in our remaining time that encapsulates this whole idea. Because over the next three weeks, it's important to me for us to all get on the same page. And my goal in this series is for us to all come to the realization that one thing we need above all else is a whole heart and to realize only God can give it to us. And that here's the, the fundamental truth of this whole series. It's available to you. A whole heart is available to you today. So, so let's turn over to Matthew chapter 12, and I want to set the stage for you in this, in this story. And I'll give you the context. In this chapter, Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed uh, person. This person could not see and could not speak. And Jesus casts out the demon and heals him completely. And this is how the crowd responds to that miracle in, in verse 23. The crowd was amazed and asked, could that be Jesus is the son of David? Could it be that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you see how this is playing out? But watch what the Pharisees said. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. And, and, and so the crowd saw this and they said, he's the Messiah. The Pharisees saw it and said, uh, no other way around, he's demonic. Now why? Why do they do that? By the way, in the very next verse, Jesus says, uh, the Bible says that Jesus knew their thoughts and he knew their hearts. In other words, this was a heart issue. The, the Pharisees were not unwilling to accept Jesus as Messiah because of a religious or a theological issue. Uh, they didn't have a problem with it based on biblical grounds. In fact, they knew the Bible. They knew where he would be born. They knew all of that. They had a hard heart. They had a heart issue that was keeping them from fully embracing who Jesus was. That They had hard hearts because they refused to listen to God. They refused to listen to what the Spirit was saying. They had prideful hearts, and their pride was keeping them from Jesus. They had broken hearts, and their hearts were brokenhearted because the crowds were embracing Jesus instead of them. Ouch. Look, look, look at where this story goes. Verse 29, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided is doomed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I'll come back to this in a minute, but you probably heard that quote attributed to Abraham Lincoln. That he said that during the Civil War about the United States of America. He, he did say that, but he was quoting Jesus Christ. Jesus was the first one to say it, and Jesus' point is twofold here, I think. I think, first of all, he's saying your argument is invalid. Why would Satan fight against Satan? Why would Satan cast out demons? They're doing his work. So, so he's just saying to the Pharisees, stop it. Just stop it, right? But, but I think he's also making a second point here, and that is that Satan loves a divided house. Write that down. 
He loves a divided house. He loves a divided heart. The Bible says he is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, what is he looking for? What is he searching and scouring the whole earth for? He is looking for divided hearts. He's looking for broken hearts. He's looking for prideful hearts. He's looking for isolated hearts. He is on the lookout for hearts that are not whole. Why? Because he knows that if he can get to a heart that is divided, he can gain a foothold into it. That's what he knows. Now watch what Jesus does. He's just cast out the demon, right? And now he's going to flex on the Pharisees for a second. Watch what he says. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Say stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Who is he talking about? He is talking about himself. Jesus is saying, greater is he that is in you than he, little h, that is in the world, Satan. If you're a child of God, the one that lives in you is greater than the one that is all over the world. In fact, he's greater than any other he in the universe. And we're walking around bloodied and bruised by the enemy with hard, broken hearts. And we're saying, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I just can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. And Jesus is saying, I do. Look to me. I've got, in fact, not just I've got, I am your answer. I am. And if we would just move closer to Jesus and lean into his arms, then all of the pain and suffering and garbage that we are going through, all the stuff that we are putting ourselves through would stop affecting us like it is. And he could heal our hearts. We need a strong man. We, we, we need Jesus. But it will require us doing something very, very simple, but very, very brave. It's going to take vulnerability. I don't know why this is the way he set it up, but it is the way he set it up. It, it's going to require you to raise your hand and say, hey, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm not okay, Jesus. To those that are around me, I'm I'm not okay. And and Jesus hit these Pharisees where it hurts, and now watch what he does. He turns it and he offers them uh, uh, an offer of hope. Look look at what he says in, in verse 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. A tree that is good, uh, its fruit will be good. A tree that is bad, its fruit will be bad. He looks at them and says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. But verse 35, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. He says, hey, Pharisees, you got a heart problem. The the garbage that is coming out of your mouth, where is that coming from? It is coming from your heart. And you need to turn to me, and if you will, I can fix your heart. And then you will start producing the fruit that you want in your life. And maybe one of the most important questions you could ask today is, what is my heart producing? What is coming out of me? Because over the long haul, it will always match what is in you. 
And you need God to fix it. All of us do. In fact, a couple of questions you could ask is, hey, first one, what, what are my thoughts? What are the thoughts that go through my mind? That's the first line of defense the devil will attack is your thought life. Are you thinking pure thoughts? Do, do you need to fix your thoughts? By the way, the way you fix your thoughts is to fix your thoughts on Jesus. So no, another question to ask is, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth? You're on the highway and somebody cuts you off. Are you slamming on the horn and talking about people's mamas? I just confess to you, sometimes I do. In fact, I'll just give you a confession of just a couple of weeks ago that the Holy Spirit got my attention. I was pulling out of here one evening on Granger right here at, at this stoplight to get out on 145th and traffic was coming. And, and, and somebody behind me uh, is kind of in a hurry, I guess. And I got on my phone and, and I spoke to Siri and was giving it a command. And I said, hey, Siri, text so-and-so. And then it comes back like it does. And it says, uh, what would you like to text to so-and-so. And I said, hey man, how you doing? I have a couple questions for you, da 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 And then I, I, as I'm turning the corner and I get to basically the Broken Air Expressway, just a few hundred yards from here, Siri comes back and says, uh, your text says, hey man, how are you doing? Have a couple questions for you. I can't go, moron. Somebody is coming. <laughs> Would you like to send the text? I'm like, no, 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 right? I, I, I don't want to send that text. But that's what came out of my mouth in that moment. Somebody was in such a hurry, they start honking at me. And apparently what came out of my heart is, I can't go, moron. Somebody is coming. And if you're the moron that was honking at me, slow your roll. <laughs> the words that come out of your mouth come out of your heart. When you get upset at work, do, do you bring it home and spew it out on your spouse or your children or maybe your dog? Watch your words and you'll see your heart. Another thing to watch is, is your deeds. What, what's happening in your life? What are you producing? The fruit reveals the root. And if we get the root right, we get the heart right, we'll get the fruit right. And, and let me just say, some, some of you in our church, you're, just, you're superior athletes. I mean, you're like an athlete, for real, like an athlete. But you can still have a heart attack. And, and some of you are the exact opposite of a superior athlete. <laughs> and you got great cholesterol. Your numbers are unbelievable. You can eat cheeseburgers twice a day on the couch and, and, and be fine. And, and you can't beat the genes is what the cardiologist friends in my life tell me. And, and listen, and, and some people we know, they run every day and they still have heart problems. But, but here is the good news. In the physical, you can cheat it. In the spiritual, you can't. It does not work out that way in the spiritual. If you do care for your heart spiritually, you will have a whole heart spiritually promise. And the heart cath not only can make a diagnosis, but, but there are some things the heart cath can solve. It can put a stent in. It can unblock some things. It can cure some of the heart issues. Let me just take you to this passage in James. It's one of my favorite passages. I'm in it in a, on a regular basis in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And, and I just want to let James coach us of what to do with a heart issue on, on a regular basis. He says, humble yourselves before God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Verse 9, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up with honor. And here's the thing about heart issues. You can't always see them but they are always serious. Always. Would you pray with me across all of our campuses, heads bowed and eyes closed? And as you get real still, let, let, let me just say to you, the thing about heart issues spiritually, here's the good news. If you're honest, you can get to the issue usually pretty quick. And, and as we prepare to close today, let, let, let me just say there are three heart issues we talked about today. And, and maybe some of you are here and you're carrying around a broken heart from a decision that someone else made. Maybe somebody left. Maybe a husband left, a wife left, maybe a mom or a dad left. Maybe you're just left in the wake of somebody else's decision, somebody else's uh, abuse, somebody else's harm to you. In fact, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Every campus, would you just raise your hand? Just minor confession, nobody looking, just that's you. Just raise your hand. Every campus, just, just raise your hand put it down. Maybe you're here today and you have a prideful heart or a hard heart. Those typically come from something we do, the result of our own actions or our own motives. If that's you, would you just raise your hand at every campus and say, that's me. Prideful heart, a hard heart. Thank you. You can put them down. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody you love and care for that has the heart issue. You know, you can, there's a biblical principle that says, and it's such the grace of God that allows something like this, that from time to time we can stand in proxy for somebody we love's heart issue. It's like the centurion that showed up in Jesus' home and had a sick servant. And he said, will you come heal my servant? And Jesus said, of course I will. And the centurion said, you don't have to come. Just speak a word. And that centurion stood in proxy for that servant. And God was able to work a miracle in the servant's life because of the heart of the centurion's life. And sometimes God will allow us to stand in proxy for someone else. And, and so if you're here today and you say, I, I got a kid, I got a spouse, I got an employee, I got somebody in my life, I, I need to stand in proxy for their heart issue. Would you just raise your hand and let me see it all across all of our campuses. Now, whether it's you that has the heart issue or you're standing in proxy for somebody else, 
Would you just stand up? You raise your heart, your hand on any one of those heart issues for you or for someone else. Would you just stand up? Let's, let's let the Holy Spirit do the surgery he wants to do today. Here's the beautiful thing. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut and heal all at the same time. And if you're standing, I want every campus to respond. So at every campus, if you raise your hand, stand if you would, okay? Every campus to respond. And if you're standing, would you just kind of just take your hands like this and just hold them open, palm up to the Lord, like you're, you're surrendering and you're ready to receive. Isn't that beautiful that anytime God asks us to give him something, it's so our hands will be open and put us in a position to receive what's better from him. And so the best way that we know how to teach you how to do this is to just lead you through this James passage today and kind of just give you the practice while we coach you uh, this time. And James begins with submit yourself to God. Would you just do that right where you're standing? Just submit yourself to him in your own words, under your breath, in your heart. Just submit yourself to him. Humble yourself before him. That word is all about rank. God, you're bigger than me. You're better than me. You're God. I'm not. It's the picture of unconditional surrender. Submission is more than humility. It involves obedience. Instant obedience. Tell God right where you are. Campus pastors, come and help me with this if you would. T tell God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You know more than I know. I, I don't see that your way is the best way, but I'm willing to trust and go your way. I, I don't understand that forgiving is somehow going to be good for me, but I'm going to believe you and I'm going to forgive. I, I don't understand how obeying you in this regard or giving that up is actually for my good, but I'm going to trust you. The second step that James says to take is resist the devil. You can't just cooperate with him. You have to resist him. Jesus, by the way, won't do this for you. He will win the battle for you, but you have to cooperate and resist. Jesus modeled that, by the way, while he was here on earth. And the way he resisted the devil was with an it is written. He had the word of God in his heart. He had the word of God in his mind. He had the word of God on the tip of his tongue, ready to confess it. The devil would use it and twist it, but then Jesus would reply, yes, it is also written. And he would come back with the word and the truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a word right now. By the way, this is why it's so important for you to have the word hidden in your heart so that the Holy Spirit has something to reference when he begins talking to you. Ask him to give you, and it is written. Go ahead and just, just speak to the devils in your life and, and say, you leave. Leave me alone. Leave my children alone. Leave my spouse alone. Leave my employees alone. Get out of here. I resist you. The, the authority you once had is no longer yours. I take it back. 
through my instant obedience to Jesus, I take all the authority you're standing on away from you. Resist him. Number three is you draw close to God. You can't just resist the devil. That's not enough. You resist the devil and then you draw close to God. In fact, what Jesus said is, hey, when you resist the devil and they leave, they go wandering around somewhere and they come back and found the house clean but not full. And they go get seven of their brothers and come back and you're worse off than you were before. You can't just clean the house. You got to fill it. And you do that by drawing close to God. Maybe even just where you're standing at your campus today. Just take a baby three inch step forward with your feet just to, just to symbolize, I'm coming close to you, God. I'm drawing close to you. Here I stand, high in surrender. I need you now. James goes on to say, wash your hands. This is about your behavior. It's about your actions. It's about your lifestyle. Ask him as you hold your hands out to wash them. Just say, Jesus, wash my hands with your blood. The powerful blood of Jesus. Ask him to wash your hands with the water of the word of God. Wash your hands. The fifth step is to purify your heart. If washing your hands is about your actions and your lifestyle, purifying your heart is about your motives. Ask the Holy Spirit to check your motives. Purifying your heart is about wounds that you're nursing rather than let God nurse and nurture. Just be vulnerable and give him the wound. Hand it to him. He is gentle. And he is gracious. And he is compassionate. And he wants what's best for you. Let it go. Oh, my heart, now and forever, my soul cries out. James says, unify your loyalty. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James uses a word that's translated into the English as double-minded. I've taught you this before. That that Greek word is disukos. It doesn't mean divided mind or doubled mind. It means double soul. You you don't have two souls, but it may be perforated. And your loyalty is divided. And God is saying to you, hey, unify this loyalty. Listen, the devil is a genius at getting us to uh, convince, to compartmentalize our lives and get us to think that, that we can pursue God with all of our hearts in most areas. We, we can pursue God with all of our hearts in all areas but one. And it does not work that way. Purify it and wash it and unify it. And just declare to Jesus today, you got every single part, Jesus. Take every single part. What people did to me, it's yours. What, what I did through my lifestyle, it's yours. What the devil wants, no, no, it's yours. I am unifying this loyalty to you. The, the seventh step, James says, is... He uses words like tears and sorrow and grief and sadness and gloom, which sounds so counterintuitive. What what James is talking about is a tender heart, a responsive heart. The, The word he uses there is repent. 
And repent is not some bold Bible word. Repent, it it just means I'm changing my mind. I'm going this way, God. I'm thinking this thought. I'm feeling this. No, 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 no. I'm going to repent and turn back to you. Break my heart over what breaks yours, God. Make my heart tender and responsive. Bring it back to where it was when I first came to know you. With joy unspeakable, with with knowing and hearing the voice of God on a regular basis, James said, humble yourself and he will lift you up. Here I stand, high in surrender, I need you now. Oh, my heart, now and forever, my soul cries out. Together. Let's declare this today. All of us stand together. Here Let's I stand, high in surrender. I need you now. Oh, my heart, now and forever, my soul cries out. Because once I was give God praise in this place. A shout of praise. Maybe let's just shout a praise to him in this place. In fact, let's just celebrate this move of God, the intensity of the presence of God in this moment, and let's honor him in this moment for the work he has done in our body. Our body and our body. And as we celebrate what he has done, let me just say this to you. This little routine that we just gave you out of James, this is not something that's reserved for corporate worship. This is something that is, is more than something that is reserved for an emotional moment in a church service like this. This is something that is for your private worship. This is something that is for your intimacy and your walk with Christ. It's something that should happen on a regular basis. Just like you take care of yourselves physically by what you eat and how you rest and how you exercise. This is part of your spiritual health and your ongoing walk with God. Do not make the immature mistake of thinking that you can stand in a room like this and do business with God, and that will guarantee your walk with Christ from this point forward. Resisting the devil, that's ongoing. Coming close to God, that's ongoing. Laying yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, that's not a one and done. That's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of worship. That's how come sometimes a student can go to camp, get on fire for Jesus, and, and two weeks later, sleeping with his girlfriend say, how on earth? That doesn't make any sense. Listen, Jesus told the parable of the seed being thrown out. And he said, some of the seed is thrown onto the path and the birds came and stole it. You better believe today that there, are, there, there is an enemy that wants to come and steal the seed that's been deposited in your heart today. He may be knocking on your heart in the car on the way out of the parking lot. So some of the seed was thrown on thorny soil 
and the thorns grew up and, and, and choked it out. If you allow the, allow the cares of this world, you, you, you allow the bitterness in your heart to return. You, you allow the anxiety of that situation to overtake your joy with God. You allow that unforgiveness to creep back into your heart. You're going to be right back where you were. But Jesus goes on to say in the parable, and here's the good news. Some of it was planted in good soil. And it produced a harvest. Jesus said a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. That's what Jesus said. And here's what I want you to hear today, church. Here's what I want you to receive today. That harvest is available to you as the child of God. That's not reserved for some super spiritual saint that's unlike you. It is available to all the children of God. He is no respecter of people. If you will listen to his voice and obey his voice, he will give you that kind of harvest, and not just because of a moment like this, but because of a lifestyle of walking this out over the course of time. And so the instruction today is go do it. Go, go do it. Learn this. In fact, to help you with this, we, we asked the tech team to take those seven things that I just helps you pray through out of James 4. And, and we made a photograph of it. And you can go onto the church's social media and take a screenshot of it. And then my encouragement to you is not just screenshot it, save it as your wallpaper. And if you don't know what I just said, ask a millennium. So that every time you pick your phone up, there it is. That's how you save it as your wall. And we'll put it in the comments, okay, on the post for the old people. So, so that you can do it. The reason I say young is because i got a whole tech department that knows what they're doing. But some of you are saying, this is exactly what I needed, and I need to walk this out. I need a little more help than just a wallpaper. I, I need a teacher. I need a class. I, I need somebody to help me with this process. We, we do a class every semester. It's about to start called Freedom in Christ. And if you're saying, I need a little tutoring, I need a little help on this process, for, for several weeks we'll do this class about to start. You can go to the website, battlecreekchurch.com forward slash events and go find the course Freedom in Christ and sign up and we'll help you with this. I love you. God bless you. Go live it today. If you're a guest, stop by the guest reception. You are dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.